Welcome to Ethics Today, a program dedicated to the art of listening, to taking a step back, listening to people who can give us an informed perspective on some of the important things going on in our world so that we might act in a more ethically responsible way. Today's guest is Kai Kite, a classical violinist turned innovative composer. He uses music to inspire individuals and organizations around the world and has played everywhere from the White House to the Great Wall of China. And he's visiting us today from Los Angeles. Uh, Kai, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to chat. Well, um, you made this, you talk in some TED Talks and so forth about this journey that you made from being a, a performer in a, in a very traditional sense to being a composer and making original music. Could you tell us a little bit about how that happened, how you came to think of yourself in this new way as a composer of original music? So I grew up just very uh, much enriched in the classical music tradition, playing orchestras, quartets. So I grew up in the DC area. And so I was in this quartet where we play at you know the White House, embassies and all these different uh, things. And then uh, a couple of things kind of happened at once. Uh, one was my mom getting breast cancer and uh, her just kind of having all of these creative ideas that I'd never heard before and her sharing with them, for sharing them with me so passionately, uh, that happened. And then at the same time, uh, is when I went to college and I didn't actually study music in school. I was in the engineering program and studied design. So I was building things. I was, I was in a machine shop uh, with like mills and lathes uh, building things. And I got to see how uh, those pro the process of, of writing music and creating something, how they weren't actually that different. And because I was uh, pretty much learning how to come up with new ideas and build them into the world, I pretty much was just like, man, I, I need to take this into music. And I, and I realized that it was something that I wanted to do. But for me, I mean, I've, all, I've always had teachers and like conductors in the classical world that I looked up to and are kind of these, uh, in, in some sense, authority figures. And so for me, there was this fear, this tension of like, okay, I don't want to uh, step on the wrong toes. I don't want to offend by wanting to do something different. Uh, but then they were extremely supportive and kind of encouraged me to write my own kind of renditions on top of the classical pieces I was playing. And so that, that was when I um, started to realize that, um, that it didn't have to be this, 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 uh, this long step away from classical music. It's just an extension. In fact, uh, if we look historically at classical music in the era like Mozart, uh, improvisation was a big part of it, right? You were supposed to play a piece and then you also were supposed to have the capacity to improvise at the end, and that was um, part of of the of the tradition as well. But we've kind of lost sight of that. So uh, once I kind of had that context, I realized that it was something that I, I had the confidence to do. Well, so you come out of engineering. That's interesting. You were building things and so forth. But, but um, and and there's a long there's an apprenticeship whenever you're working with materials, right? Physical materials, where there's this apprenticeship to know how to do that and then, but then designing new original work is a very different thing than just the technical know-how, how to work with the material. And I'm wondering how that corresponds to music. How, like, how long did it take you before you were actually composing music that you were pleased with? <laughs> um, I mean, years. 
I, I'm still very much in that journey. Yeah, I think the way you describe it as two different skill sets, so the composing part and the performance part, that's exactly um, the process. So even behind me now, there's this eight parts uh, composition that I've been working on during the, during the pandemic. And I've just been in the composer state of mind. So I haven't, I've just been um, looking at the entire story, right? The, the, the characters and the music that I wanna bring alive but I haven't even started to try to view it as the performer because that requires a much more technical, a much more uh, mathematic, uh, mathematical mindset, much more rigid mindset. And so I, uh, yeah, recently I was talking to my mom, actually she asked me to play something for her. I was like, I, I can't because I'm just, I'm coming up with the, uh, I'm creating the story now. It's like, I'm like the, uh, you know, I'm writing the script for the movie and then you hand it to the actor to bring it to life. And those are two very different skill sets. Um, and require different, very different types of concentration. So, so oh, that's that's really interesting because I I I guess one of the things that students often tell me when I ask them to to write essays and so forth is I'll get the response. Well, I'm not a very good writer, and my response is, well, just practice, like just do it, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, and it's not something that you are either naturally good at or naturally bad at. It's something that you learn over a long period of time. So I, that you, so you've been working for years then to develop both these sets of skills. Right. right. And there are times when I kind of neglect one or the other. Like I, I, I recently, I saw uh, my teacher from college actually, and had a, the toughest lesson I've like ever had. She kind of was just like, she called me out on so many parts of my technique that I, needed to work on. And that was great because I had been focusing so much last few months on the last six months on the composing side of things that I kind of, uh, kind of overlooked and neglected the performer side of things. And so they have to balance each other. They have to inform one another. Um, and I think for what I do they're, they're equally as important, uh, because I think a lot of times we can get in this idea of, okay, if you're an artist, you have these ideas, right. But if you don't have the technicality, then it really doesn't mean anything. Because right. it, it won't be communicated in a way that actually conveys something of, of importance. So, um, when when we talked a few weeks ago about setting up this interview, what was going on was the pandemic, and I, I'd wanted to talk to you about how the pandemic affected your creativity. Because of course, this is a very different way of of living, really, and it's required um, some adjustments. But then, in the meantime, we've also had the protests over the murder of George Floyd. And so we've got these two incredible societal upheavals taking place at once in our country. Um, and so I'm wondering how both of these uh, have affected your creativity and your ability to work. Is it changing the way in which you work and, and the, the ideas that you're coming up with? Um, yeah, I think on a very practical level, First, I'll start with the pandemic. So, I mean, I live by myself and I'm, I'm usually for work, I'm usually traveling, you know, every week I'm in a different city and uh, this has a lot of pluses. I get to meet a lot of people. I'm always inspired by different things. Um, but there is something to be said of just, okay, having all of your choices taken away and saying, okay, all you, cause I live in the mountains, so I'm not, I can't really go out to, you know, do takeout or anything like that. So I'm cooking at home and so I'm, I'm just with, with my own thoughts. <laughs> and so it's like, now all you have to do is sit and look at the music in front of you, or maybe it's uh, something I'm writing, right? All you have to do is look at that. And so then 
for me, the difficulty at first was realizing, oh, all of the things I used to distract myself, I'm actually doing the work. Um, all the things I, I, I look at or procrastinate with. And uh, for me, the biggest lesson is just, wow, uh, it's a gift to just have the time to invest in that sense. Um, now, with everything that happened with George Floyd, I, it's kind of interesting. We just uh, spoke about this a moment ago, which is the pandemic, I think, prepared us for what's happening with all the protests right now in the sense that it showed us how connected that we are, right? We, we could see that, you know, uh, someone else's health isn't just their problem, but it affects us, right? If we're also, if we're in the same city as them, we could see that uh, perhaps the people that we uh, overlooked and thought their jobs were trivial, actually they're the heroes, right? They're the essential workers that we, that we need, but also they're uh, disproportionately affected in terms of uh, who's getting sick right now also. And so, I say it prepared us for what happened with George Floyd because now uh, to a level that I've never seen, <laughs> uh, there's this empathy for uh, humans and specifically what it means to be a black person in the United States. And so I've had, as a black uh, man myself, I've had dozens of people reach out to me, some that I didn't even know that well. They just wanted to check in to see if I was okay to, to want to hear my stories. What is it like for me? Uh, and that's, for me, it's a beautiful thing. And so I'm, I'm optimistic and in terms of how it relates to my work, um, you know, there's, I'm always in these different events, right? So these large, large uh, conferences, there's, there's these, uh, where I'm speaking and playing the violin and there's always this kind of switch that happens before and after the event. So I go to the hotel and, you know, maybe I'm carrying my violin, maybe I'm not. And I go in the elevator and I feel that people are tensing up. So maybe they walk to the other side of the elevator but I see that they're wearing the conference badge that I'm you know, the keynote at. <laughs> and so then I go on stage and those same people um, are coming up to me. They're trying to take pictures. They want me to sign something. They, they want to uh, share stories. Maybe they see themselves in me or maybe, maybe they see their, their kids in me uh, if they're older. And so there's this moment where they just recognize this shared humanity. And when that happens, I've had to train myself to really detach from it altogether uh, mm -hmm. because I know that, there's millions of people just like me, just as sensitive or kind that would never get that kind of reception simply because of the way they look. And it, I think it's a pity because uh, we miss out on so many hidden gems uh, by lacking that empathy. And uh, we should be able just to have an imagination about someone else's context, someone else's story without them having to go on stage or having to play the violin, right? And so. For me, I'm optimistic in a way that I've honestly never been before uh, because people are curious about stories and have a sense of empathy and they're leading with that. And I mean, I mean that's why uh, music connects us, right? I, I'm confident that I can go on most stages and connect with people because that's what art and music allows us to do. And so it feels like people have kind of the outcome of art <laughs> without having to go to a theater because they feel it viscerally. And so for me, that's just an, a beautiful thing. Well, the, that's, that's an amazing perspective that you have that very few people ever get to experience, that very rapid transition from being viewed one way to being viewed another way. You know, honestly, it comes with a sense of guilt too, like playing the violin and being black, because people will view me a different way. And I know that it's this, it's this ephemeral thing that most people never get to experience but I also know that once I get out of the context of that conference or that hotel it's back to square one and so 
uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of led to, uh, I love creating the art that I do, but I also, I can't attach too much to the outcome because, uh, I know that it's, it's, it's a, it can be ephemeral and I just want to have the effect on others, but not get too attached to how they communicate that back to me. Yeah. That's one of, yeah, and music, music just is ephemeral. Uh, like, I guess, like most, most forms of beauty are, are ephemeral. They're, they're, they appear to us and disappear and elicits this generosity of spirit and that we want to make last, yeah. right? Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, why are the arts so important, especially at this time? And I think you've answered a little bit of that. Like it, it, it opens up the spirit in a way to, to maybe the perception of other people and other things in the world to look at them in a different way. Um, but are there other things that, that music does that in your experience that are really important, especially for the world at this time? Yeah, so I mean, there's a few ways to look at it. There's the... Uh... Uh, the product of art, right? The impact on those that experience it. And then there's uh, the experience of creating the art itself. And so for me, um, the way I design my life is I want to be in as much of a flow state as, as I can. <laughs> and so when I'm writing music, when I'm practicing, when I'm writing and preparing for a speech, I, I'm in this state of mind. And I, it's been like this. I knew I had to do something with music my whole life because when I was 13, I realized I was practicing once and I realized I wasn't even, I wasn't sad or anything like that, but I was just like, man, this is all I did for the rest of my life. Or if I like died right now, this would, I'm so happy. I'm so in this state of, of uh, kind of acceptance with the moment in front of me that this is all there is. And so I, I'm lucky that I still can access that. And so I think in terms of um, what can art mean right now? Well, art doesn't necessarily have to be playing the violin or, or playing on a keyboard. It could just be, dedicating yourself to something that just gets you in that state of flow that's so immersive um, that you're, you're you're creating something where you're not you're not a when I'm I'll give you an example when I'm when I'm writing music during the pandemic I'm not thinking about uh, you know my parents in their 60s and and how, how there's all these things that I cannot control right you do what you can but there's so many things you cannot control so music allows me to in a way um, have this focus on the present and what I can't control. And then you take that out with a sense of clarity in terms of how you interact with others. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, yeah, I, th I think you asked the way you phrased it was, is art essential? And I think it's even beyond essential. I don't think it's really a choice. So if you look at some of the uh, most <laughs> uh, kind of like harsh human conditions over the course of history. So many great pieces of art have come out of that. And that's because art has this natural balancing effect, right? We want to create something um, that can balance out what, sadness or the uh, maybe the suffering that is being human. So you want to create something that can, uh, that can give you hope. And so I think a lot of times we think of art as just being a, not trivial, but almost trite. Like it's just, oh, this is nice. Oh, oh yeah, this is music to have on the background. But I think what I've come to learn is that art is really the man, it's really uh, the art of teaching. <laughs> uh, art has lessons in it, but 
to me, the best lessons aren't explicit. They're going to see a movie and watching a protagonist that looks nothing like you and realizing that perhaps there's a lesson that you can kind of take out from your own relationships uh, uh, from viewing that. And so art for me is, is, is school, right? But it's just, it's a seductive form of school. It's, it's charming, it's, it's subtle, it's implied, it's not explicit. And so I think at, at a time like this, when there's so much uh, going on, uh, art is not just uh, something that we should do for the sake of it, but no, we, we need it to guide us, right? That's, that's how we're going to become more empathetic. That's how we're gonna uh, improve it as leaders because we're gonna get lessons, uh, not in a, in a preaching manner, but in a creative and thoughtful manner, so. Yeah, that's, I, I really like how you put that, that we often think of art as something that's nice, but it's, it's the first thing that's expendable, especially like in an economic crisis, right? So. Like we can, we can easily cut out of our personal budgets, um, music and theater and those sorts of things. Yeah. And yet there's a, there's a real problem. We, we, I mean, we have people like you who are artists who depend on a revenue to support your living. And, 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 and there's other ways in which our society is dependent on people like you to bring these new perspectives of what the world has to offer into our lives. And so I'm, I'm wondering if we could, if there's other ways of thinking about art that we need to really be looking at right now. Yeah, I mean, one other idea that I've been thinking about is, uh, like, you often have like organizations or people, they, they, they will donate a lot of money or maybe charity, give charity to different arts organizations. And that's a beautiful thing, but I think it also comes with this, uh, this separation of the mind that can be very dangerous. So we think of art as like, you know, going to the theater or these students creating poetry, right? But art is also how we run our own businesses, right? And so we have this kind of model where we're, Think of, okay, we're going to donate to the local uh, local opera. We're going to donate to the local uh, painters, and they're going to create something beauty. But what if we use that money, right? And mm -hmm. that money and energy in our own systems, our own schools, our own businesses to create pieces of art and that to change the way that we talk and treat each other. Why don't we take the lessons from that opera <laughs> that we might go see and apply them to our day-to-day -day life? Um, so, I mean, that's just something I've been thinking about where it's, uh, I think we're at a time where we can reimagine uh, the paradigms that we've been under and our cultures also. And so I think more than ever, we can find some lessons in that that will kind of guide us forward. I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, all the pieces of paper up there on your wall behind you. Could you just, <laughs> could you just tell us a little bit about how you work, like why, why do you put these, what, what are those different pieces, what do they represent and how, what, like how do you use them in, in your composition? Okay, yeah, so I'm a very, so context, I'm a very visual person. So when I was in school in design, we would always have these huge whiteboards and put up like post-it notes everywhere and it was, uh, it was very important. So I'll, I'll give you a better view of this. So I have, uh, 
these are the compositions, right? And there are these notes around them. So for any um, piece of music, there's a level of, of energy in it, right? Mm -hmm. So excitement, speed, uh, volume, all those things uh, contribute to the energy. And when you're creating something that's uh, a cohesive work, you want to make sure that they're balanced out uh, so that it feels like a story. So if you look at any good story, it could be a movie, um, anything that's compelling, it could be a basketball game. Like it's like this back and forth, right? It's like this, this rise and fall uh, of emotions or rise and fall of hope. And so that's what this kind of represents. So as I'm mapping out these pieces of music, you see it goes like up and down, up and down. I'm thinking about what's the energy level. And then within each piece, I'm also asking that same question. And so just having it on the wall like this gives me kind of a guide point to make decisions on how I can uh, make sure that I, uh, I'm telling the story and make sure that it, it's gonna capture attention for the entire time. So is each set of notes a different composition or are these parts well, of- a different composition. They lead into each other, but they're different. They'll be recorded separately, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just find it really interesting to see kind of the visually what people do and when, because co composing, like just about any kind of creative work is a very internal thing. So it's very hard for others to see what you are doing. Right, right, right. Like this is not like any movie that's been made like about Mozart or something. It's really hard to show like, what is Mozart actually thinking? You know, you can- Right, cause there's all this going on and then it just- There's all that going on, but, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, so that's, yeah, that's what I do and then, um, Let's see. Yeah, then I have little descriptions for each one. Um, so the, the first piece up there, the word, it's not the title, but it's just like the emotional word of the piece. It's yeah. called desire, because I, I realized what was happening in the music. After I wrote it, I realized uh, you kind of, for me, it's helpful as I switch it to the performer mode, you want to have a story that you're, 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 I'm not just playing notes, I'm telling a story, right? So this, the story of this piece was that it, it kind of had this feeling of, you know, like hunting for something, like trying to get something and then getting that, that thing, whatever it is, and then realizing that it's, you actually know nothing about it and it was just the, the hunt that you wanted. And so that's what this, that piece feels like. And so when I re realized that, okay, now I can take that and that'll inform my decisions. Uh, so now the beginning of it feels like, like a, it feels like a, like a mountain lion, like kind of creeping on like prey or something like that because I realized what the, what the uh, the overall tone was. How long from from the origin of an idea like that to a performance? Um, well, sometimes I'll play I'll play a piece of music while I'm still composing it. Mm -hmm. to kind of see what's there, and then I'll sometimes I'll also I'll record it uh, <laughs> just to see what's there. So I mean, it, for me, I. I I take a while with things because I like to combine different ideas. So it could be, I mean, I've been working on this continuously for, I mean, the past three months, all of the pandemic, but I would say there's eight pieces up here. And I would say four of the pieces I kind of had outlines for before. So and I imagine I'm pretty much done with the compositions now and then it'll probably take me a, a month to, or so to get uh, the performance up to speed so maybe maybe five six months i guess or okay. something like that. yeah 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 and 
So I have one last question. I mean, I, well, I have tons of questions, but we only have so much time. So like one last question I wanted, maybe I could build these two together. Um, you, it looks like you came up with a way of composing that is your own. Like you had, you had to discover how to compose in a way. I'm sure you had teachers also, but then you had to discover for yourself. And what do you, what do you say to young people who feel that they have something serious and something important to contribute, but they lack confidence in knowing how to do it and how to go about it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I have some thoughts about just confidence in, in general. I think a lot of times we think about confidence backwards, right? So oftentimes let's use the analogy of you know, stage fright. A lot of people ask me about you know, stage fright. Like how do you go on stage and confidently express your ideas and perform and what people don't get is that a lot of times a lot most of the anxiety you have around stage fright is just your own perfectionism it's this it's this, this thinking that if you do anything less than perfect then you'll be kind of abolished from the stage forever um for me one of the most freeing moments as a performer is when you go on stage and actually like mess up mess up a note <laughs> Because you realize, oh, this doesn't actually matter in terms of the grand scheme of what I'm trying to say and accomplish. Uh, and you feel a bit freer, right? Mm -hmm. And so to take that analogy back to life, um, a lot of times I don't think confidence, especially as an artist, is about trying to appear dignified, right? Or try to appear like you know what you're doing. It's coming to accept that you probably don't know what you're doing right now. And it's probably going to sound a little clumsy and awkward. And just do that anyways, and you'll figure it out. Uh, and so I think as we think about confidence, it's like, can you be okay making yourself look silly? <laughs> right. And if you can feel comfortable with that, you can take any stage on. You can, you can, you can do anything you want because you don't have this fear that uh, you expressing yourself is going to be an end of any sort. It's only a, a beginning. Uh, and so I think just actually not taking yourself that seriously as an artist can uh, have a lot of great uh, outcomes for you. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. Um, yeah, I I can certainly relate to that as a writer. Um, that once I started to realize that, well, of course, you know, I'm going to say things that I I find later to be just mistaken or even foolish because right, right. I change my mind about things all the time. So why yeah. wouldn't others disagree with things I have to say and that's actually so write about it? You know. So. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny. Sometimes we even uh, find ourselves like trying to protect something that we don't even agree with ourselves. Right. <laughs> like something yeah. that we were before, you know? So that, that's a great point that you made. Um, well, we're, um, we're going to have a couple more conversations. You're going to um, do a workshop for us later in July to talk to some nonprofit arts and education leaders and so forth. And then and then this fall, you'll be speaking to some students at Viterbo University, and we're going to do that, I think, as a Zoom event. But um, and so we'll we'll have a, a longer discussion then, and have I've, I'm I'm really excited about the opportunity for a lot of other people to get to meet you and to see your work. And I think in those events, you'll do a little bit of performing as well. As yeah, that I'll, I'll play some some stuff that's on the wall. Oh, you will. Oh, yeah. fantastic! That's great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking some time today. This was a great conversation. I appreciate the thoughtfulness. Yeah, well, thank you.